Good to be with you this morning. Long time no see. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles on you this morning, I just would invite you to turn with me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 45 through 52 this morning. Mark 6, 45 through 52. We're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of Mark this morning. Um, so when you get there, would you just give me a nice and hearty, big, risen King Church amen this morning. We'll get started. Amen. Awesome. So verse 45 says this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out, was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they, had, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Father God, I pray that you would just bless the reading of your word. God, I thank you that you are a powerful, miracle-working God, and your power is still alive today. God, I pray that you would just flow through this message, and that we would just gain a deeper understanding of your word and who you are. In your name we pray, amen. American author Mark Twain was accompanied by his wife on one of his visits to Israel. They were staying in Tiberias on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It was a moonlit night. The weather was perfect. Nice cross breeze going, which gave Mark Twain the romantic idea of taking his wife out on the lake for a boat ride. They walked down to the pier, and Twain asked a man sitting in a rowboat how much he would charge to row them out onto the water. Twain was dressed in his usual white suit, white shoes, and white Texas hat. So the sailor, presuming him to be a wealthy rancher from America, said, Well, I guess a hundred bucks will do. That'll get you out on the water. Not, Not getting you back. It'll just get you out on the water. Twain thanked him. As he turned away with his wife on his arm, he was heard to say, Now I know why Jesus walked. (laughs) The title of my message this morning is The Why Behind the Miracle. The Why Behind the Miracle. And I'm sure if we took a poll of this room right now, in in some way, regardless of your church background, to some degree you probably would have heard this story before, right? Maybe you had a family member or a friend who's a Christian who would share, you know, the stories of Jesus and his miracles. Or maybe you've seen the paintings of Jesus walking out to Peter on the water, on the boat. Or maybe you've heard even references in movies or songs to Jesus walking on water. Or maybe you really have never heard this before and you're still sitting there like this guy really walked on water. Is that what you're telling me? But either way, we're going to be talking about one of Jesus' most famous miracles this morning. But I don't want to spend too much time of our time dissecting the actual act of Jesus walking on water. I'd like to actually look into the reasoning, the motive, and the why behind this miracle. Why did Jesus do this? How many of you know that there was a plan and purpose behind everything that Jesus did while he was here on earth? Amen. He even called his own miracles signs because the purpose of them was not to draw a crowd or show people that he had some kind of superpowers or anything like that, but to point people to a greater life transformation truth. So before we get into the reasons behind this miracle, I'd just like to set a little bit of context for you because I think that's important in understanding the scriptures. So our passage this morning is taking place right on the heels of Jesus' miraculous feeding of the 5,000, what Pastor Tom taught us about two weeks ago. After Jesus fed all of these people, immediately he sends the crowds and his disciples away. 
Now, you may kind of think that's a little bit of a weird thing for Jesus to do, right? If, if his whole mission was to make disciples or students of himself, to teach people about the kingdom of God, to show them that he actually is the way, the truth, and the life, why would he be sending people away? The apostle John gives us a little bit of insight on this in John chapter 6. says this, when the people saw the sign, he's speaking of that same feeding of the 5,000 that he had done, They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the crowd speaking about Jesus here. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. You see, Jesus knew the true intent of this crowd's hearts. These people wanted to impose a kingship on him that was actually contrary to the mission that God sent him on earth to do. See, they wanted Jesus for what they can get from him, not what he came to give them. I'm going to say that again. They wanted Jesus for what they could get from him, not what he came to give them. They merely saw Jesus as a supplier of their physical needs, someone who could you know, miraculously give them food or perform miracles for them to see, but they didn't understand that he was the gift of salvation and freedom that God actually sent him on this earth to be. And to a certain extent, the disciples are in a similar place in their understanding of Jesus when we find them here on the boat, which brings us to our first why behind this miracle is to show his disciples that he is God. To show his disciples that he is God. You see, Jesus' divinity, his, his being God, was a truth that they still, the disciples still didn't fully understand. They didn't fully grasp it. So let's jump back to our passage, and we'll unpack this a little bit. See, the disciples are out on the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is an eight-mile-wide lake. It's all landlocked water. Right? On a normal day, it would take probably about maybe four or five hours to row straight across it. On a nice, you know, calm day, the, the sea is calm. You can just row right out. But verse 48 tells us it was the fourth watch of the night, which means it was between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's what they referred to that period of time as. The disciples were sent, we can assume, after dinner time, right? After Jesus, you know, miraculously fed the 5,000 and he sends them out. So... With simple math, we can see they'd likely been rowing for almost eight hours at this point, and they still, the scripture says, found themselves in the middle of the lake. I mean, so stop and imagine with me for a second. How would you feel if you were on the boat with the disciples? I mean, a little scared? Are you doubtful? I mean, angry even? Would anyone be angry? Can you imagine, I mean, how the conversations are probably going between them all? Like, you know, why did Jesus have to send us out on this boat? Like, didn't he know that there was going to be a storm coming? I mean, why couldn't we just stay with him and pray with him? But this storm that they're painfully rowing against is really a vivid picture of the storm that was going on in their hearts and minds. See, did you notice what verse 52 said? It tells us that they couldn't understand Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and their hearts were hardened. See, the disciples understood that Jesus miraculously broke the loaves so hungry people would be satisfied, but they didn't understand that Jesus himself was the bread of life, and he must be broken so that hungry souls would be satisfied. They understood that Jesus had power, but they didn't didn't understand that he was power. They understood that Jesus was from God, but they still didn't really get that he was God. They were only scratching the surface of their understanding of who Jesus is, and they found themselves in great danger. And the external danger of being on, you know, on a boat in the storm is just a picture of the internal danger of not really knowing who Jesus is. Their physical struggling and painful attempt to make headway through this storm was just a picture of their spiritual struggle and trying to understand who Jesus really was. And I mean, isn't that a danger that we face today as a church too? 
right? The disciples were always around Jesus. They heard all of his teaching, right? They even worked side by side with him, ministering to these crowds, but they were still missing who he was. And the fortunate reality for us is this. There's a way to always be around Jesus without ever really knowing him. There's a way to always be around Jesus without really knowing him. See, Sunday worship services like this, they're great. Uh, outreaches, life groups, serve teams, they're awesome things. Really important part to a healthy church relationship, a healthy relationship with God. But there's a way for us, just like the disciples, to be around all these good things without ever really getting to know the best thing, which is Jesus himself. And you see, maybe you're serving Jesus and you know all about him. You have all this head knowledge. You, you're on the serve team, whatever it is, but you don't really know him. And in a very real way, we're in the same boat with the disciples, painfully trying to make headway through whatever storm we find ourselves in this morning. But then in the midst of the disciples not understanding and their hearts being hardened, Jesus walked on water. And we need Jesus to walk on water in our lives too this morning. Amen. See, the disciples were physically drained from rowing against the wind and the waves. They were spiritually drained from not understanding who Jesus is. And suddenly, Jesus comes out walking on the water. And I want you to notice something here. The end of verse 48 says that he meant to pass them by. Meant to pass them by. What does that mean? Why would Jesus mean to pass them by? If he knew that they were struggling, if he knew the danger that they were in, being on a storm in a boat, why would he want to keep walking right by them? See, Jesus wanted to show them that he is God in the fullness of his glory. And this is why I think the Bible is so cool. Every word that is on the page stretches so far past the surface. There's always a deeper meaning to the scripture. Mark was intentionally doing something here when he says that Jesus meant to pass the disciples by. He was using actually the same language used in Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, when God passed by Moses. See, at this point, Moses was having a meeting with God. God told him that he had found favor in his sight, and he knew him by name. And Moses made an astonishing request of God. He asked God to show him his glory. And this is what it says, Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 and 19. Moses said, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Moses asked God to show him his glory, and God answered by doing two things. First, he said that he would make all his goodness pass before him. The exact same word is actually used by Mark in the original language when he's talking about Jesus passing by his disciples in the boat. Second, he said that he would proclaim his name before him. His name is the Lord, which literally translates to Yahweh, which means I am. And what did Jesus say to the disciples when he passed by them? He said, take heart, it is I. And guess what it is I translates to? I am. Jesus walking on the water was not him just showing off or showing his disciples that he can do miraculous things. He was letting his entire divine glory pass by the disciples, just as God did for Moses, just as God proclaimed his name as Yahweh, as I am. Jesus also proclaimed his name as I am. Jesus walked on water to reveal his divinity. And the second why behind this miracle is to show how close he is in times of trouble. To show how close Jesus is in times of trouble. See, when you look at what God does for Moses in Exodus and what Jesus does for his disciples in Mark, the stories are incredibly similar, right? 
Both Moses and the disciples are being shown God's glory and divinity, but they're also wonderfully different. See, God revealed the glory of his divinity to Moses when he was living his life in the best way that he knew possible. Now, Moses wasn't perfect at all, but he was living in faith, obedience, and intimacy with God. And on the other, on the other hand, in our passage today, we see the, Jesus revealing his divinity to the disciples when they were what? When they were unbelieving, when their hearts were hardened. Is that good news for anyone else here this morning? That God, that Jesus continues, no matter, no matter the state of our heart, that he would continue to reach out to us. And sometimes we think the only way God is going to come near us is when we're living in perfect faith and obedience. You know, if we're spending time in the word every day, sharing the gospel with others, never sinning. But Jesus will cross any barrier to meet us. Not just when we're living in perfect obedience, but when we're in the darkest moments of our lives, when our self-doubt is crippling, crippling, when our temper is flaring up, and you keep going back to that same sin again and again and again, Jesus will continue to reach out his hand of grace towards you. And as the disciples were struggling with unbelief, they thought Jesus was impossibly far off. See, this actually, believe it or not, was not the first time that the disciples were stuck out on the water in a storm. They had the physical presence of Jesus the first time with them to comfort him because Jesus was actually sleeping in the boat when they found themselves in the storm that first time. But can you imagine the fear they must have been feeling this time around, knowing that Jesus was up on some mountain praying and they were alone in the, in the water by themselves in the storm. For all they knew, Jesus was still praying and he hadn't even noticed the storm. It's been almost eight hours at this point since they got out on the water. But isn't it the same for us when we're struggling in a storm in our lives? lives, right? Sometimes we know Jesus is right there with us. We can feel his presence. And other times we fear that he's nowhere to be found and impossibly far off. But the reality is this, no matter how far off you think Jesus is, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. He will walk on water to come to you. He does it all to show you that there's no barrier. There's no amount of shame or sin that will separate you from his love. And the Apostle Paul says it best in one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. It says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the thing that's so wonderfully different about the story of Moses and the disciples is that Jesus is willing to come near them, to us. Not just when we're filled with faith and obedience, but also when we're filled with unbelief and doubt. I mean, think about it. Jesus just as easily could have stopped the storm from the mountainside that he was praying on, right? He didn't need to go into the water, but instead he chose to come down. He chose to enter into the storm, chose to walk on water to meet the disciples exactly where they were. Let me just ask the worship team to come forward this morning. See, the crowds refused to see Jesus as God. They walked away and he let them. The condition of the disciples out on the lake, not understanding the power of who Jesus really was, was the same as the crowds who had previously walked away. But since they were his, Jesus wouldn't let the disciples walk away. He walked on water and came to them. Later on in Jesus' ministry, we'll see him teaching in a church in a city called Capernaum. What he teaches there will be so hard for the people to understand that many who had been following Jesus up to that point will end up leaving him. Knowing that his disciples were also struggling with the same teaching, he turns to them and says this in John chapter 6. 
do you want to go away as well? And Peter answered him, I love this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus met with his disciples on that stormy lake in such a way that caused those who once had hardened hearts to be able to say, Jesus, where else are we going to go? It caused them who were once unbelieving to be able to believe, and Jesus can do the same for you this morning. If you're in Christ, he will not let you go. He will come to you because, get this, our salvation is not dependent on our ability to never doubt or struggle, but his ability to walk on water and come over and over to us. And I have one final closing thought this morning. The miracle of Jesus walking on water is described in Matthew, Mark, and John, three books in the Bible, three Gospels. If you read all three authors' accounts, you will notice in John's book something different. The storm doesn't end. In both Matthew and Mark, we're told the storm ends, but not in John. Why? I think John is trying to tell us that even when the storm does not end and when we're in the middle of the waves, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't in the boat with us. He is, and he will satisfy our needs no matter the circumstance. John wants us to know that Jesus will be everything we need, even on our worst day, when we're in our most needs, when life seems most difficult. The storm doesn't end, in, doesn't end in John's gospel because the reality is this. For most of us, it hasn't, and it won't end overnight. But if you get nothing else from this message, please let it be this. Jesus will always be in your boat. He is for you. He will always love you. He will cross any barrier to meet you. We don't always need to hear that Jesus will get us out of the storm. We need to understand that Jesus will always be in our boat. Let's worship together this morning.